Today on the Matt Wall Show, as left-wing activists stalk lawmakers in bathrooms, the FBI has been mobilized to hunt down parents who raise their voices during school board meetings, because that's the priority right now. Also, Facebook goes mysteriously dark for hours as Democrats in the media ramp up pressure to compel the company to further censor conservative content. And a new report shows how the United States has the strictest mask guidelines for children in the entire world. Plus, a trans activist tries to get a fast food employee fired for misgendering in one of the most vicious cancel culture campaigns we've seen yet. We'll talk about that and much more today on The Matt Wall Show. Well, once again, I find myself in a hotel suffering because I do not have my MyPillow products and I simply, I've become very high maintenance uh, when it comes to when it when it comes to the, the things that I need to, to sleep and uh, my pillow, I need the my pillow. I don't have them in the hotel, and that's a problem. But the great thing about my pillow is not only are their products great, but they also want to give back to our listeners. You can get great discounts on all my pillow products if you go to mypillow.com right now and click on the radio listeners specials. Get deep discounts on my pillow mattress toppers, towels, and so much more. For example, my pillow is offering a buy one get one free offer on Giza sheets. They're top quality sheets that you will love. All MyPillow products come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square for the buy one, get one free offer on the Giza sheets and use promo code DAILYWIRE at checkout or call 800-651-1148. You'll also get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including pillow, slippers, the MyPillow mattress topper, and everything else. That's MyPillow.com and enter DAILYWIRE or call 1-800-651-1148 and tell them DAILYWIRE sent you. That's 1-800-651-1148. We are now two days removed from October 3rd, the day of the bathroom insurrection against Senator Cinema, a day that will live in infamy. It was an assault on our democracy and our very way of life. It wouldn't be too far to say that it was the worst attack on our nation ever, like Pearl Harbor and 9-11 combined twice. I'll always remember where I was when it happened, and uh, I fear that I'll, I'll never be the same. I almost died that day. At least this is what would be said about the incident if it had been right-wing activists harassing a lawmaker in the bathroom. But left-wing activists are judged on a different scale. And the measurement on that scale, the measurements are quite simple to read. It goes like this. Whatever the left-wing activist does is okay. They must have had a good reason to do it. So when they stalked Senator Cinema in a restroom, filmed her as she went into the bathroom stall and yelled at her for not supporting Biden's agenda, it was shrugged off by Biden himself. Here is Biden in a press conference yesterday responding to the incident and not exactly condemning it. Listen. Mr. President, uh, you're talking about how you have 48 Democratic votes right now. The other two uh, have been pressured over the weekend by activists. Joe Manchin had people on kayaks show up to his boat, T.L. Adam. Senator Sinema last night was chased into a restroom. Do you think that those tactics are crossing a line? I don't think they're appropriate tactics, but it happens to everybody from the, the only people it doesn't happen to are people who have Secret Service standing around them. Um, so uh, it's, it's, it's part of the process. Oh, uh, so, you know, one thing I take from that is, uh, hey, Senator Cinema doesn't have Secret Service prote protection standing around her. Hint, hint. It's all just part of the process, he, he says. It happens to everybody. I mean, I, I would wonder who else has it happened to. Really, everybody gets filmed in bathrooms? Who, who else? Maybe I shouldn't be surprised that the creepy perv Biden thinks filming women in restrooms is part of the process, although I'd hate to know what kind of process he's referring to exactly. In fact, the left seems in general to have a thing for accosting women in restrooms. 
One minute they're defending a male sex predator who exposes erect penis to women and children in the Wee Spa locker room, and the next they're cheering illegal alien activists for confronting a senator while she's on the toilet. These people just really don't think women should have privacy in the bathroom at all. They just don't. They don't believe that. And not just in the bathroom either is she being confronted. Cinema over the last few days has been harassed at her home, um, in the airport, on a plane, everywhere she goes now. They follow and scream at her because she doesn't fully agree with Biden's spending proposals. The feminist website Jezebel published a piece yesterday directly calling for more harassment of the senator in the bathroom in a piece titled, Absolutely Bully Kristen Cinema Outside of, the ba- of Her Bathroom Stall. Jezebel writer Ashley Reese uh, waves off the criticism of these intimidation tactics as pearl-clutching and says that it was, quote, just a few constituents following their representative into a large bathroom to air their grievances. Oh, well, as long as the bathroom was large, then never mind. Jezebel represents the view of many on the left, including in the media. Kristen, uh, Kirsten Powers, CNN contributor, tweeted on Monday, referring to one of the illegal alien harassers who said that her grandparents had been deported. Uh, uh, she said, which is worse, your grandparents being deported or being followed into a bathroom because you refuse to stop and listen by people desperate for your help? This is not a trick question. Oh, I can answer that. Um, being followed into the bathroom and filmed is worse. Okay, that's, that's illegal behavior. Deporting illegal aliens, on the other hand, is law enforcement. So on, in one case, the law is being broken, and in the other, it's being enforced. So not a trick question and also not a hard answer. But as we've seen, the left views the law as a rather blurry and subjective line, and they have good reason to see it that way. I mean, if they're acting on behalf of their ideology, they know that they're empowered to do basically whatever they want. They can film senators in the bathroom. They can show up with bullhorns to people's homes in the middle of the night. They can riot. They can loot. They can assault police officers. They can burn police stations to the ground. They can wage a months-long assault on a federal courthouse. They can stop traffic. They can harass and assault random pedestrians and people in vehicles. They're able to do all of this with rarely any penalty. And meanwhile, in the midst of of all of it, the FBI has now officially been put on the case of conservative parents who say mean things to school board members. Attorney General Merrick Garland on Monday, while um, left-wing activists and illegal aliens were stalking a U.S. senator across the country, he issued a memo, not about that, but rather directing the FBI to protect school boards from imaginary threats. The memo says, and I'll read it, it says, in recent months, there's been a disturbing spike in harassment, intimidation, and threats of violence against school board administrators, board members, teachers, and uh, and staff who participate in the vital work of running our nation's public schools. While spirited debate about policy matters is protected under our constitution, that protection does not extend to threats of violence or efforts to intimidate individuals based on their views. Threats against public servants are not only illegal, they run counter to our nation's core values. Those who dedicate their time and energy to ensuring that our children receive a proper education in a safe environment deserve to be able to do their work without fear for their safety. The department takes these incidents seriously and is committed to using its authority and resources to discourage these threats, identify them when they occur, and prosecute them when, when appropriate. In the coming days, the department will announce a series of measures designed to address the rise in criminal conduct directed towards school personnel. Coordination and partnership with local law enforcement is critical to implementing these measures for the benefit of our nation's nearly 14,000 public school districts. To this end, I am directing the FBI, working with each United States attorney, to convene meetings with federal, state, local, and territorial leaders in each federal judicial district within 30 days of this issuance of the memo. 
These meetings will facilitate the discussion of strategies for addressing threats against school board administrators, board members, teachers, and will open dedicated lines of communication for threat reporting, assessment, and response. Now, just to be perfectly clear, um, there has been no violence against school board members at all. The very small number of violent incidents at meetings have been brief scuffles between protesters where nobody got hurt. And that's on both sides, okay? People on both sides of an issue show up, uh, the, the conversation gets a little bit heated, and, uh, and then there's a scuffle and, and no one really gets hurt. As for threats and intimidation, which is the main thing he's focusing on, I've been at some of these meetings where threats and intimidation allegedly happened. I mean, I've been at the meetings where the media reports, ah, oh, there's threats and intimidation. I've also watched videos of other meetings where it supposedly occurred, and I have heard very little of anything that could be accurately described that way. Mostly, I've heard angry parents expressing their point of view, sometimes raising their voice, God forbid, but that's as far as it goes. And yet, we're supposed to believe that parents getting a little heated during a school board meeting is some kind of national security threat that requires a federal law enforcement response. The FBI has done nothing at all in response to BLM and Tifa rioters who openly harass and intimidate law enforcement and civilians, often do much worse than that. But now they mobilize against parents at school boards. As someone who's been accused of being, you know, one of the ringleaders of this school board movement, I expect I'll probably be on the FBI most wanted list by the end of the week. And it's clear what this is really about. The FBI doesn't care about the harassment of public officials, not generally anyway. If they did, the feds would be tracking down cinema's harassers and shipping their butts back to Mexico. I mean, they are illegal aliens, as they confessed. No, for all their talk about intimidation, this itself, what the FBI is doing, is an intimidation tactic. This is about intimidating parents, regular working class people, who've had the gall, the nerve, to speak up against the system's indoctrination and abuse of their children. The public school system is the factory, it's the assembly line, where kids are shuffled along and they're assembled and packaged in the way the state wants in order to make them ideologically compliant vassals. But this grassroots, non-violent uprising of parents and school boards has threatened that system and exposed it, and the powers that be cannot allow it. What this means, first of all, is that the law is dead in this country. Now, that's not hyperbole. It's dead. And it's been the case for quite some time. When federal law enforcement is mobilized against middle-class parents who are upset at their school board members, that's a sign, one of the more glaring signs, but certainly not the only one, that there's no higher law in this country beyond the whims and desires of the elites. The law is, don't upset or interfere with them. That's the only law. They recognize no other. But it also means, on the positive side, that our work in these school board meetings is having an effect. Uh, it's making a difference. Which means, now is the time to double down, not back down. And that means keep showing up, keep speaking out. And I can tell you that's exactly what I'll be doing. Now let's get to our five headlines. Now a word from Relief Band. Did you know that a third of Americans regularly suffer from nausea? And I am one of those sufferers. It's just many, one of the many victim groups I belong to. Uh, also as a colorblind American, as an American who suffers from allergies. I have, I have all those bases covered. But uh, nausea is no joke. And if you're looking for a better solution to keeping nausea out of your life, you gotta check out Relief Band. Relief Band 
is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that's been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangover, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. The product is 100% drug-free. That also means that uh, there's no side effects. It's non-drowsy. That's the best thing about it, I think. And it's very effective. Relief Band is the only over-the-counter wearable device that's been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting. And if you know someone who deals with nausea, or if you deal with it yourself, then you need to get Relief Band. As the world's opening is opening back up, don't let the fear of nausea keep you on the sidelines. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for my listeners. If you go to reliefband.com and use promo code Walsh, you'll receive 20% off, plus free shipping, and a no-questions-asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D.com and use our promo code Walsh for 20% off. So uh, just wrapping things up here in uh, Wisconsin. I'm in Milwaukee right now, and we spoke at, uh, I was at Wisconsin Whitewater University yesterday. And it was a great event, um, great turnout, and, and all, all, of that was, uh, all of that was wonderful. There, there is this weird you know, coincidence. I mean, I'm sure it's just a coincidence, but I find this very often in the uh, speeches that I give at universities. Uh, very often, they end up having... Um, you know, incidentally, these weird problems with their air conditioning. And so quite often I find myself in rooms where, uh, you know, and there's 250 people ma- packed in there and the air conditioning's not working. And that's what happened yesterday. So the air conditioning works. It's really, it's like the weird thing is, again, told, told, I'm sure it's just a coincidence. I'm, this is not a conspiracy theory, right? How, how could I ever uh, imply that anything intentional would be done by the university because they don't want me there? But it is, it's strange how, oh, you know, we can't get the, the uh, AC to work in this one room. Every other room around this room, it works fine. But yeah, this one, it's real complicated. We can't get it on. We'd have to go across um, the, the campus. We'd have to like climb a mountain and there'd be a troll. We have to answer some riddles and then go into a cave. And that's where the AC control is for this particular room. And we just can't do it. Yeah, I'm sure it makes sense. And it was, But it was kind of funny on the way. So, so you know, at, at the speech, I'm, I'm always ready and, and eager when I give these speeches because we do the Q&A at the end. And I'm always ready and eager to engage with any of the opposition, people who, the people who don't want me there, especially the students. Um, they're always welcome to, to come to the events. And in fact, uh, you know, if you, if, you, if, you, if you disagree with me, and, and, and then, then you could even get to the front of the line in the Q&A in most of these events. But especially recently, and when I say recently, I mean the last, I don't know, year or so, um, they just don't show up. They don't come to the events. And they especially don't want to say anything in the Q&A. But they will stand outside. So there was, um, I guess, the LGBT group on campus at uh, Wisconsin-Whitewater. They, they didn't want to go to the event. Um, they didn't want to do that. because they, they didn't want to be subjected. They didn't want their ears to be subjected, their minds to be subjected to the scary opinions. But they were outside. They were actually marching outside around the building, um, chanting, I don't, who knows what. And it just so happens, and I hate myself for this. I mean, I was, I was telling Sean, my producer, on the way, on the way back that I just, like, I, I hate myself for not taking out my camera and filming this. I mean, you know, most people they, these days, their first reaction to anything is to get their phone out and start filming. I have the opposite thing where I never think to, to film. I mean, aliens could actually land on Earth, and I wouldn't even think to pull my phone out and get it documented. So... On the way out, we were walking to our car, and it just so happened that the march, the, the march against me was walking by at that exact moment. So I was walking alongside my own, actually in my own protest march, for a good like 100 feet to my car. And it was just kind of funny. 
I tried to engage with them, but uh, they, they, they didn't want to engage. All they did was they just kept on chanting. All right. Um, let's uh, start with this. So Facebook went down yesterday mysteriously. Very, very odd timing. Uh, first of all, for, for a, a website like Facebook for, to, to go down for hours, I mean, this was like five or six hours it was down, is already pretty unusual. I think this is the longest outage Facebook has ever had, I'm pretty sure. But it happened right when they were under attack from the media and the left for not properly suppressing conservative content. I haven't quite worked out what the conspiracy theory should be for this. It just, it, it seems intuitively obvious that there must, that there's probably some kind of connection. I mean, that's a, that's a hell, they have their worst outage right at the moment when they're getting the worst PR. Uh, interesting. But I'm not, I'll let someone else fill in the blanks. Like what is, what's the connection? Let's, let's, let's have fun with the conspiracy there. I haven't, I haven't been able to think much about that. I haven't put it all together. But they, Facebook went out and, along with Instagram and all their other, you know, WhatsApp and all the other apps that they, uh, that they own. Right as this, as this pressure campaign is mounting and there's going to be testimony on Capitol Hill, I believe today, about Facebook. Um, but we have to keep something in mind, like I said yesterday starting the show in the opening monologue. A lot of conservatives, I'd say probably all of us, even if we use Facebook, we're still not big fans of Facebook. We're critics of, I, I certainly am a critic of big tech in general. But the left, when they're going after big tech and going after Facebook especially, it's not for the same reason. So this, this is not an enemy of my enemies situation where we can link arms together and uh, work on this project of trying to take down Facebook. And that was made obvious. I mean, if you listen to what the media has been saying about this, it's, it's very obvious. Here's just one clip, clip. This is MSNBC and Claire McCaskill talking about the problem that they see with Facebook yesterday. Watch. This is a personal opinion. I think Facebook is the most malign force in this country, other than crimes, criminal enterprises, drug deals, drug dealers, gangs um, are obviously more malign than Facebook. But of the things that aren't illegal or criminal, I think Facebook is the most damaging influence in this country. And to say we balanced, you know, the bottom line with keeping our people together is absolute hogwash. Do you think they'll be eaten up on Capitol Hill or do you think this is still a blind spot? Well, first of all, let's back the truck up a little bit. Congress, when the Internet began, decided they were going to make it the Wild West. There was going to be literally no regulation. And in fact, went so far as to give all of these sites immunity from anything bad that is posted on their sites. Now, fast forward. The, the Internet has been an amazing economic engine in this country. But what these all of these sites figured out is that they track you. They know what you want to buy and that monetizes it. And for Facebook and other sites, if you're afraid or you're angry, you're going to hang out more. OK. And when they talk about afraid and angry, they are talking about right wingers. That's what they mean. That's what they mean when they say just like when they talk about misinformation, hate speech, all that. All that is just all that means right wing content. And all right-wing content, all right-wing content is automatically misinformation, angry, hate speech, uh, unsafe, et cetera, and so forth. And that's also their interest in the Facebook whistleblower. Now, this, uh, this whistleblower, Frances Haugen, again, talked about her yesterday. She was a former Facebook employee, and now she's, uh, she, and she was started leaking internal documents about the inner workings of Facebook. And... Uh, and then she had the, the 60 Minutes interview, 
Now she's going to be on Capitol Hill. The media loves her. Democrat Party loves her. Already, you know, it's just calling her a whistleblower is absurd to begin with. Whistleblower is just another one of those terms that has really lost all meaning. A whistleblower is supposed to be someone from within an organization who's revealing secrets, you know, damaging secrets that are that but but that are still relevant to the public that we should know, right? You know, secrets about ways that organizations are harming the public. Now, I don't doubt that Facebook harms the public, but not in the ways that these people say. But even but but still, what, what actual secrets has this whistleblower revealed? The one thing she has is that um, well, Facebook knows that uh, it's not good for kids to be on Instagram. Of course, they know that. Everybody knows that. That's not a secret. That anyone with a brain, any parent with a brain already knows that your kid shouldn't be on Instagram. That's why I put the onus on parents. Don't give your kid the smartphone. So that that's that's the what what else is there? What what other information has she revealed about Facebook? I don't doubt that there is plenty of damaging information about Facebook that a real whistleblower could reveal. But this is a fake whistleblower. And the fact that she's choosing this, that these are the the, the secrets she's telling, these are the skeletons that she's bringing out of the, out of the closet. There's one headline uh, about the whistleblower, and it's, the headline was something like, um, Whistleblower reveals that Facebook uh, va- values profit above all else. Or something like that. Facebook values profit. Whistle. Whistleblower reveals, oh my gosh, are you serious? This multi-gazillion dollar behemoth cares about profit? I have no idea. Glad we got the whistleblower on the case. But there, there is a, now there are people kind of blowing the whistle on the whistleblower. So here's the Washington Free Beacon. It says, the Facebook whistleblower who revealed herself in a 60 Minutes interview is getting strategic communications guidance from a top Democratic operative according to a source with direct knowledge of the relationship, which was confirmed by another half dozen sources with indirect knowledge of the partnership. Francis Haugen, the former Facebook employee, um, is working with the political consultant and former Obama administration deputy press secretary Bill Burton and his consulting firm Bryson Gillette. It is unclear when Haugen's relationship with Burton and Bryson Gillette began, how big her communications team is, and whether it includes other political operatives. But Burton is now deeply integrated with an emerging infrastructure on left on the left, comprised of individuals and organizations, including the nonprofit Center for Humane Technology, seeking to press Facebook to more aggressively police political content. And then if you look at the executive board of the, uh, this Bryson Gillette organization, which I have, you see nothing but former o- Obama administration officials, uh, people who have worked on Elizabeth Warren's campaign, Okay, nothing but Democrat operatives. So she's got this Democratic operative firm, this Democratic PR firm that she's teaming up with to reveal these secrets about Facebook that are not secrets at all. If it wasn't obvious by now what's really going on here, hopefully it is now. So I I say again, I understand that conservatives don't like Facebook, but you have to understand that the corporate media is attacking them because the corporate media wants to be the sole gatekeepers deciding what you're told and who tells it. 
So if, if, if you are locking arms with them, it is to your detriment. A world without social media is a world where the corporate media once again controls almost all of the information and determines which perspectives are heard. So that's what they're pining for. It's the only thing they care about. I, I am, as you know, a critic of big tech, but, but my criticism is from the opposite angle. I want the companies to stop censoring conservative speech. But the pressure right now is coming from people who, who are mad they don't do it more. Which means, again, that this is not an enemy of my enemy's situation where we can join with corporate media to take down Facebook. Because the, the media wants to destroy and silence you, not Facebook. And they see this as an important step in achieving that goal. It's, it's crucial to draw this distinction. So when I hear conservatives saying, oh, you know, Facebook went down yesterday, when it went down, and conservatives say, oh, it's, it's better, I hope it never comes back, I hope Twitter goes down and never comes back. I, I understand the sentiment, I do. But you understand who that would benefit most of all, right? That's going to benefit the corporate media. Because these are their big competitors for, for the dissemination of information. And that's going to get rid of that. This is, why they, they, this is why they hate Facebook right now. Because they know that people like me can get out there and talk to you. And use this platform to do it. There are other platforms too, but Facebook is still a platform where you can do that. Um, so we just in our, in our messaging and our goals with uh, with with social media, it's not that we're going to blindly defend social media. It's oh no, Facebook, I, I love it. They're 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 angels. That's not it at all. There are major problems with Facebook, but our criticisms are coming from completely the opposite end here. We want entirely different things. All right, um, you guys want to vomit. If you do, uh, it's, uh, you're in luck because Disney is making a documentary about Fauci called Fauci. And uh, here's the trailer. Watch. When I think about my dad growing up, I certainly think about that seriousness. But very few people get to see. <laughs> He's funny, weird, and really playful. God help us. In 1981, HIV-AIDS was evolving rapidly and frighteningly. There was anger at the government's response. When you got sick, you were gone fast. It's affecting you now. Yeah. Why? Post-traumatic stress syndrome. When COVID hit, he became this target. My dad said, we're going to get through this whole thing. And he's held back. You don't do it because you want to make money. You don't do it for the glory. You do it because you care. When you're involved in a race to stop a horrible disease, you always feel you're not doing things quickly enough. I mean, I, I had to endure that, so I chose to make you suffer with me. Uh, Fauci, who has been nothing but, but, I mean, by anyone's standard, no matter where you stand on COVID and what the, what the right policies are and everything else, uh, by anyone's standard, Fauci has been an abysmal failure. Going back to the, to the AIDS epidemic, his entire career, he has been a failure. It, it's, it's hard. You, you put anyone in Fauci's position 
it's hard to see how things would be worse right now. I can imagine them being better. I don't see how they'd be worse. You just, you put, you, you take Fauci out and put a, I don't know, like a raccoon in that position and uh, you know, a dead one, roadkill. And I don't see how things could be worse than they are right now. But this is, this is the, the glory of being a, a bureaucrat, is that no matter how bad you do, you're still, you're still, you get to keep your job. Sometimes you're celebrated as some sort of hero. But you see something like that, and it just, it, it, it sinks in yet again how COVID, even though he's done an abysmal job um, in the face of, uh, of this crisis, still, COVID has been probably the best thing that ever happened to him. And he absolutely loves the attention, which is why he's on. He doesn't have to be on TV every single day, especially not now. But, but he is because he, he loves it. And he's not the only one in a position like that who feels that way about it. All right. Um, let's play another video. That if, if, that, if that didn't get you hurling, let's play one more. So this is from a, a preschool. And I'm not sure where the preschool is. But... Here they are uh, encouraging the kids, or forcing the kids, really, to uh, sing an ode to the mask. Listen to this. Two, three. I wear a mask to school. I wear a mask to school. Hi, ho, the Dario. I wear a mask to school. It helps to keep me safe. It helps to keep me safe. Hi ho the Dario, it helps to keep me safe. It keeps my friends safe. It keeps my friends safe. Hi ho the Dario, it keeps my friends safe. And let me see a hooray! Put your hands up in the air. I think of course the kids aren't are hardly even singing along. They're just totally confused. And that's how all kids that age are reacting to all of this. They, they, they have no idea what's going on. They, they don't understand why they have to wear the mask, but, but they do because the adults around them are telling them to. And, uh, and it, it keeps them safe. Until it starts to really settle into their minds and they get to the point where you know, they're, they're afraid not to wear the mask. And that's, and that's when you know you've done the permanent damage to them, potentially. I mean, I, I, it's, none of us can really imagine what it, what it must be like for these kids because none of us have been in, none of us had to deal with this when we were this age. I mean, there, there are quite a lot of things that kids, little kids that age these days have to deal with that none of us did. You think about the assault that's underway against their basic sanity. We, we didn't have that. And it's not like we didn't have uh, transmissible diseases when we were kids. We had transmissible diseases that were more threatening to us than COVID is to these kids, like the flu. Never any conversation about wearing a mask. Uh, so that along with this attack on their identity through the gender ideology. I mean, these are, these are what these kids are, are dealing with every single day. And, and it's just, it's impossible for us to, to see the world through their eyes 
um, and to, to, under, and to really understand what it's doing to them psychologically. But we know that it's nothing good. So I'm not sure five years from now, ten years from now, what state are these kids in? It has been drilled into their minds every single day that, and, and they, you know, they can only understand things on a very simple, in a very simple way. And so for them, what they're being told is that the air is dangerous, and I don't want to directly breathe the air because I might die. Um, and I don't want to directly breathe around other people. I might kill them or they might kill me. And this is drilled into their heads, even in the form of these cultish sing-alongs, every single day. Even when the mask thing goes away, if it ever does. What effect does that have on kids? Where are kids psychologically after that? Well, we have no idea. They're, they're guinea pigs. So we'll, we'll check back in 10 years and see what kind of damage it did them. Whatever it is, we know it's going to be pretty significant. And um, related to that, this is from the New York Post. It says, the United States' the United States' uh, strict mask guidance for kids goes against policies across much of the globe. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention advises masking for all school kids to an older. That's earlier than the World Health Organization, European Union, Union and United Kingdom. A uh, professor of medicine at Stanford University said, uh, kids need to see faces. Youngsters watch people's mouths to learn to speak, read, and understand emotions, he said. Um, we have this idea, this is this again is from this professor. We have this idea that this disease is so bad that we must adopt any means necessary to stop it from spreading. It's not that masks in school have no cost. They actually do have substantial costs. Now, I, I seem to remember someone making this exact point at a school board meeting in a speech about how kids need to see each other's faces and they need to see their their teachers' faces and re, and see their lips moving moving in order to learn to read and to speak properly. I remember someone making that point. Oh yeah, I think it was me. And I was told that this is anti-scientific, that it's absurd, that it's a that it's a conspiracy theory. And yet this is exactly why most countries around the globe are not putting masks on kids at this age. Uh, the UK no longer advises masking for students or staff at all. England recommends against masking for anyone younger than three for health and safety reasons. The European Center for Disease Prevention and Control advises masking when feasible for those older than 12, but recommends against masking for primary school students. The WHO, the WHO uh, advises children five and under should never be required to mask. Um, the UN agency says, quote, this is based on the safety and overall interest of the child and the capacity to appropriately use a mask with minimal assistance. And uh, so those are countries around the globe, uh, health organizations. And yet, if, if you here in America were to say what the World Health Organization says, or to, you know, side with the public health authorities, so-called, in any other nation around the globe. It, it'll be tagged as misinformation. Because, because apparently we are human beings, right, it turns out. And our kids are human beings. And I know that's something that hasn't dawned on a lot of leftists, especially. But our kids are human beings. And as human beings, you know, there's more, there's more to your existence than just your physical safety. 
There's a lot more that goes into life. And there's a lot more that needs to be protected and fostered. And so when you say the only thing that matters is just physical safety and that's it, you're, you're, you're making a choice. You know, you're making a sacrifice. And obviously that sacrifice is not always going to be worth it. All right. Uh, I don't know if you uh, care about this story at all, but we, we talked briefly about the controversy surrounding the Ravens in their game against Denver on, on Sunday when they were up by two scores with uh, three seconds left in the game. And rather than take a knee and end it, they ran for another play to try to get an NFL rushing record. Anyway, people, especially in sports media, this has been a topic of conversation. And um, people have been very mad about this. And so is Denver's coach, Vic Fangio, who, uh, you know, if you don't follow football, you might not realize that this is, this is very rare for a coach to, to say what you're going to hear him say, attacking another coach in this way and in these terms. But here's what he had to say about that. Listen to this. Did you have a problem with the last play that Baltimore ran? And- yeah, I thought it was kind of bullshit, but I expected it from them. You know, I've 37 years in pro ball, I've never seen anything like that. So, but it was to be expected, and we expected it. Why did you expect it from them? Because I just know how they operate. You know, they, that's just their, uh, you know, mode of operation there. Player safety is secondary. Is that something anybody even really talked about, that they had had 42 straight or whatever the number was, 100-yard games? And- uh, we didn't talk about it during the week, but I'm sure the players were aware of it. You guys made them well aware of it. That's just embarrassing. Imagine being a, uh, a professional head coach and you're crying on camera because you lost to another team and they weren't, mer- they weren't merciful enough with you. But I-, I see this as part of the trend, and you see it in football. You see it probably in every sport. Football is the main one that I follow, so I can speak to that. But where we're, we're taking the competitive, you know, little by little, you're chipping away from the competitive spirit of the sport. So now it's a it's a, a controversy if an NFL team they just they play football game is sixty minutes. They played for all sixty minutes. And they when you're on the football field, the objective is to gain yards, and so. Uh, it, it, on your way to, to scoring points. And so they tried to gain yards every play that they had the ball, which, which again, is the objective of the game. And people are getting very upset about that. Well, oh, it's, not, it's not nice to... It might hurt their feelings. Think about all those professional football players on the other side of that ball or paid, play, played, paid millions of dollars to play a child's game. You're, you're really hurting their feelings, making them feel bad about themselves. Little by little, we chip away at the competitive spirit. And this is happening at the younger levels especially, but also at the professional level. Which is a problem because this is the, the value of sports. One of the, one of the primary things that makes it valuable and worthwhile is um, you know, fostering a little bit of that healthy competitive spirit. And it is a, you know, it's a, it is a controlled environment for people to be competitive and to, you know, try, try to, try to win, to try to strive towards a goal. It's a good thing to teach kids, you know, how to be competitive within, within the rules. You have the rules. Here's the objective of the game. Here, here's, here's another team that's going to try to stop you from achieving that objective, and um, try to go achieve it anyway. So you learn not only how to be competitive, you learn about being about perseverance. Many, 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 many great things come from this. 
Sports can be very valuable to society in that way. But we're taking it away little by little. All right, let's get now to reading the comments. This Taylor Crawford says, chasing someone down and confronting them in the bathroom is middle, scale, middle school level immature. But I, I would say it's, it's worse than, than that. Uh, it's far worse than immature. It's, again, it's illegal. And somehow that, that, the fact that it's illegal to film someone in a bathroom against, without their consent, that has somehow been lost in this conversation. We haven't even been asking that. Like, are we gonna? Are these girls gonna be charged with a crime because they did commit a crime? Um, Bleem says, if Matt's producer sees this, make Matt a Discord account and make him review Scott's server. I don't know what that means. I don't know what any of those words mean. Well, I know Matt. I know what that means, but the rest I don't. Uh, Mr. X says, if no one has land rights, what made it theirs in the first place? How could it be stolen? Right. Well, that's that's one of the many reasons why this claim about uh, America being on stolen land is totally absurd. I mean, this this who who is who does this whole plot of land that, that is the continental United States? Who who is it supposed to belong to exactly? And why them? As I as I always say with these things, the the the, the entire globe, every inhabited inch of the globe. With the exception of Antarctica, right, uh, which is not inhabited, so ev- everywhere else where, where there are people, uh, it has been fought over and bled over, and that's the way the globe was settled. That's the way the lines were drawn, and that's the case everywhere you go, because for thousands of years, how did you determine who who's Whose land it was? Well, if you could take the land, then it was yours. And if you could defend it, then it remained yours. If you couldn't take it, then it wasn't yours. And if you couldn't defend it, then it wasn't yours. That's how these things were settled. So that's really the answer to the answer to the question: Who has the land rights? Well, whoever could take it and defend it had it. That's it. And that's the rule that everybody abided by. And you know what? It's, it's still the rule today. I mean, if China decides they want to invade the United States and we're not able to stop them and they just take it over, uh, I, don't, I don't quite see that happening yet. We're not quite at that point. Maybe sometime in the future, unfortunately. But if they do, then, then, then they do. They just they, they take it. I mean, we could sit there all we want and try to and appeal to some higher authority which says that this land is supposed to belong to us. But practically speaking, it belongs to whoever can take it. That was certainly the way of the world for thousands of years. Certainly the way uh, Native American tribes functioned. And even today, although we feel insulated from some of these realities, some of these more brutal realities of life, uh, that insulation is mostly a figment of our imagination. And it's a lot more tenuous than we think. Thomas says, Matt, on the cell phone discussion, I think that a broader point I heard this past Sunday applies. Maybe we stopped disciplining our kids around the time that we stopped disciplining ourselves. 
Yeah, and when we talk about the fact that kids are allowed to be on their cell phones and parents give cell phones to their kids and let them play on their cell phones all day, uh, yeah, that's an important point here. And, and that's one of the big reasons why parents do this is because the parents themselves want to be able to be on their phone. You know, that's, that's probably the primary motivation. I think it's, it's two things. For parents that, you know, will give a smartphone with internet access to their 10-year-old, there, there are two things that motivate it. One is, well, it's just what people do, and, you know, it's what his, all his friends do. And the other is, hey, I want to be able to watch TV or be on my phone. And if my kid is, then he's not bothering me. So I think you're exactly right about that. And Elf Princess says, Matt, I'm going to counter your tie complaint with two words, high heels. Yeah, I don't buy that. Sorry, Elf Princess. Because you don't have to wear high heels. I don't want to hear complaints about high heels. That's true. I don't, I don't envy that at all. Uh, I, I don't understand, even in terms of physics, how that works, how you walk in those. Does, does it, it seems to defy the laws of science. But you don't, you don't have to wear... When was the last time you were at an event where you had to wear high heels? Okay. It, no. You go, if you have, go to a formal event, the, the rule is you have to wear some kind of formal foot attire. But you, you have many options. And that's the privilege that women have. They have many options for what they can wear in these kinds of situations. For men, yeah, we can wear just normal dress shoes, but we have to wear the suit. We don't have that choice. We do not have bodily autonomy in those situations. Okay, so we're the victims, is my point. Well, this podcast is brought to you today by another podcast, and that is The Jordan Harbinger Show. Listen, if you're sick and tired of the subpar slop that passes for most podcasts today, including especially this one that I'm recording in a damned hotel, uh, then you got to check out The Jordan Harbinger Show. It's a podcast that you should definitely check out since you're a fan of high-quality, fascinating podcasts hosted by interesting people. I can only assume you're a fan of those kind of podcasts. I don't really know because you're watching this show, after all. The show covers such a wide range of topics through weekly interviews with hard, uh, with hard-hitting guests, and there are tons of episodes you'll find interesting since you're a fan of this show, I'd recommend our listeners check out his episodes with Brian Keating and Tony Hawk. There's an episode for everyone, though, no matter what you're into. The show covers stories like how a professional art forger somehow made millions of dollars while being chased by the feds and the mafia. Lots of really interesting stories there. The podcast covers a lot, but one constant is his ability to pull useful pieces of advice from his guests. We really enjoy his show, and we think you will as well. There's just so much there to enjoy. So check out jordanharbinger.com slash start for some episode recommendations or search for the Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. But wait, there's more. Here's another podcast you should be listening to instead of mine. Legacy Media has dominated the podcast world until now. Our newest podcast, Morning Wire, is here to bring you the facts to start your day. It's the only daily news podcast that values your time and the truth. And while we're working overtime to bring you the news you need to know, we need your help to keep the facts trending towards number one. So subscribe and start listening now to Morning Wire on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a five-star review if you like what you hear. I think this, I think my podcast has the record for um, including the most advertisements for other podcasts. And, I, and I'm proud of that. But check out Morning Wire. Let's get now to our daily cancellation. Today we turn to a vile, disgusting scumbag who goes by the name Eden Torres. Now I'm coming on kind of strong right in the opening, but hopefully you'll understand why as we proceed here. Eden Torres is a quote-unquote trans woman 
that is a biological male um, and a trans activist. And when I say trans activist, I mean that Torres is a vicious, soulless bully who gets off on shaming and harassing people and does it all under the guise of activism. This is how most trans activists work. Left-wing activists in general tend to be callous and ruthless and pathologically self-centered, as we've seen, but all of the absolute worst tendencies of left-wing activism are brought together and consolidated among trans activists. Eden Torres is a prime example. Torres, who is a male, went to a sonic drive-in recently. Now, for normal people, a trip to a fast food drive-thru has only one purpose. The most, the most obvious one is you know, to get food and eat it, and then pay the price intestinally speaking later. But for trans activists like Torres, every situation, and especially every encounter with normal working class people, is primarily an opportunity to make themselves into a victim and maybe, as a bonus, ruin some random person's life in the process. That's what Torres uh, has in mind when he, he showed up to Sonic and was allegedly referred to as Sir after an employee saw his male name on his credit card. This employee may have also noted that Torres has a male voice and uh, a male face and kind of connected the dots quite reasonably. But you're not allowed to be reasonable around people like Torres. And so the Sonic manager was summoned, and the camera was turned on, and the trap was set, and here's how the conversation went. That's why. I mean, I'll pull. And, and, yeah, and why you want to record me? Because okay. your entire staff has been okay. calling me sir. Okay, okay. Uh, do you want to park? Uh, why don't you tell me what we can do now? No, because I can do the same thing with you. Okay, okay, but your entire staff has been calling me sir the entire time. Okay. What about me looks like a sir right now? Okay? Okay. Can we please move to the side? No. What? Look, I'm sorry, and I apologize for what happened. Okay? If they did that, or, oh, I mean, I, what do you, I mean, I'm sorry. What else can I tell you? I mean, now, what else can I tell you? What? I mean, if you're, um, uh, can we please move to the if side? If I'm a what? Can we please move to the side? If I'm a what? I didn't say anything. Okay, don't try to put any any words in my mouth, okay? Okay. Okay, look. If they call you a sir, I don't know what they did then. Because they saw the name on my credit card and they were being, they were not being nice people. Well, I mean, they saw your name on the credit card. What do you want, what do you want, what do you want them to tell you? That has nothing to do with it. There could be someone in the back that they don't see. That's paying. Okay, ma'am. So why would they intentionally do that? Can you tell me what your location has done to be trans competent? Because clearly they are not. Yeah, this stuff. I, I just, I wish I could be, I wish I could witness one of these things sometime. I, I, w I wish I could be there when it happens. You know, because I, I would just love to step in and say, "Hey, uh, yeah, let me." Uh, so, so, so here's the here's the problem here, uh, sir. Is that, is that you're at, you're a male? Yeah, you are. Do something about it. Yeah, film me. Go ahead and publicly shame me. See how that works out for you. So that is that is the answer, Eden. Um, they assume that you were a male because you are in fact a male, and while you live every day enveloped in your own narcissism, thinking only about yourself, believing that the world has no purpose but to affirm you. These people had other priorities. Their priority in that moment was to get you your food and move to the next customer. And that ultimately is the great sin they committed as far as you're concerned. They didn't bow before you and treat you like the god or I guess goddess that you think you are. Now this exchange with the manager went on for several minutes and um, let's see how it ended because it's kind of funny. Watch this. 
Why say, okay, does it matter? Oh, it doesn't matter to you. I'm so. I mean, but to me, I'm a male. Okay. Okay. So, what are you? So I can call you a sir or ma'am. What are you? What would you assume looking at me? What are you? What would you assume looking at me? I assume that you're a man. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Whatever. Now there's there's a a very funny moment there that you that you miss if you're only listening to the audio, but um, Eden asks the manager what sex the manager would assume Eden is by looking at him, and the manager says, "Well, uh, you know, I'd assume you're a man." He was asked a question and he answered it, and then Eden turns the camera around to his face, and I guess we're supposed to see his face and say, "Well, that's absurd. That's clearly a woman," but instead the face only affirms the manager's response. Um, a response that he gave because Torres, again, asked for it. So you see how one trap after another is set up. The victim, and the victim, by this I mean the manager, is baited and baited, all while he tries his best to be polite and accommodating. But mere politeness, mere accommodation is not enough. Unquestioned, immediate, submissive affirmation is the only thing that Torres will accept. Anything less is a transphobic assault. Torres, of course, went on to publish all these videos and tag Sonic in an attempt to get the poor guy fired. Sonic responded yesterday afternoon saying, uh, quote, Eden, we have a a strict anti-discrimination policy and take this very seriously. We launched an immediate investigation into the incident and we have reached out to you via TikTok to gather more information needed to complete the investigation. Please feel free to DM us here. I just, I wish Sonic said, said, said something like, sir, we... We, have a, we, we don't tolerate discrimination here, sir. Now, it's, it's not clear if the manager will be fired, but the recent history that we've seen with these incidents would suggest that his chances of remaining employed are pretty slim. A corporation like Sonic, uh, they could tell Torres to get lost. Even better, they could condemn his actions and his bullying of their employee and then tell him to get lost. But instead, they'll probably just cave to his demands. As for the videos, they demonstrate an important point. That gender ideology, more than any other leftist doctrine, is spread and propagated by force. What you're witnessing in videos like this is a modern form of forced conversion. Gender activists compel normal people to affirm their doctrines under threat of public shaming, loss of income, or violence, or all three in some cases. In a forced conversion centuries ago, or, or even today in some parts of the world, you may have been coerced into affirming a religious doctrine under threat of being burned at the stake. Now you're coerced into affirming the doctrines of the gender cult under threat of having everything else in your life, aside from your physical body, incinerated. Trans activists are basically what your public school history teacher told you the inquisitors were. The difference is that the inquisition has been caricatured. I mean, it was far more defensible than modern day cancel culture is, especially the cancel campaigns waged by trans activists. Also in in this inquisition, of today, the inquisitors are not trying to coerce a belief in or submission to any sort of eternal celestial god. Rather, they themselves are the gods. At least that's what they believe, and they want us to believe, or pretend we do. All while posturing as the victim, in an exchange that they instigate with someone who does not want to be a part of it. That's how the game works, and it is repulsive. And that's why today, Eden Torres, the miserable scumbag is canceled with a vengeance. And we'll leave it there. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed.
Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Ali Hinkle. Our audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Walsh Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. Today on The Ben Shapiro Show, Joe Biden makes excuses for protesters following a Democratic senator into a bathroom, while the media prepare a full frontal assault on Facebook in order to suppress conservative information. That's today on The Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen. Mm-hmm.